What is it? Uh, well, it's called a uh, randomizer, and it's fitted to the guidance systems and operates under a very complex scientific principle called potluck. Now, no one knows where we're going. Not even the Black Guardian. Not even us. Hello, faithful listener, and welcome to episode 19 of the Randomizer podcast. I am Charles, and we're all naked, aren't we? I just want to assure you that we're really not. Uh, I'm Tim. Hello. Um, so, we have a spoiler warning. For, we're going to discuss the Omega Factor a bit later on, which mm. we've rewatched, and it wasn't it fun. Mm. Um, Red but, pants and all. Oh, gosh. Biggest news, red pants aside, is the second coming. It's we're, we're so excited about this. We, we thought it was gone forever. We'd never see it again. But to our absolute delight, it has returned. Three litre Pepsi Max bottles are back in Iceland. I know. I'm I know. so happy about that. I've got 30 of them in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, so we're only back for about a minute before you bought out everyone again. Absolutely. Anyway, obviously that was uh, dearest to our hearts on this particular podcast. Um but uh, there has been there's been other news, of course. Um, we've got season seventeen released on Blu-ray, which is exciting. Blu-ray just before Christmas it comes out, isn't yes, it? Yes, thirteenth uh, of December. Exciting with uh, a a combination of animated and uh, live action Shadow, oh. which should be interesting. So it's like yet another version of Shadow. Yeah. So actually, that's the season I'm coming up to quite fast in yeah. my rewatch. Um, so. So we could actually do the Blu-ray version. I think we should actually do the Blu-ray sort of. Yeah, well, I've watched Androids of Terror now, so I've only Mm. got Pirate Crawl and Armageddon Factor before I hit season 17. (laughs) And apparently, young men out there (laughs) are dying for it. By which you mean the season 17 Blu-ray box set. Absolutely. So also, Evil of the Daleks was released after its BFI screening, uh, the animated... Uh, version was released as a steel book and a regular Blu-ray, uh. and I have a copy because yeah. um, Kenny's son Steve uh, just randomly, <laughs> hey. pardon the pun, out of the blue, I got a, a, an Amazon package and it was like oh, sort of Evil of the Daleks from Steve, just yeah, as a a sort of general thank you. The check it didn't oh, have his name well, on the label. Oh, okay. So, also, we have a date for the new series at last, and uh, it's Halloween, 31st of October. Yes. Um, So, we will be turning off all the lights and barricading the doorways so that we don't get interrupted by trick-or-treaters. We know quite a bit more about it now from trailers. There was this very strange decision they made where they cancelled or turned off all their social media as if it had been, like, disabled or hacked or something. (laughs) And then when it came back, it was all branded with flux. Yes. So, I mean, it's a weird move to make, but quite effective. And then they've had some really interesting marketing techniques. Yeah. I mean, look, don't make it wrong, right? I think it's very clever what they've done. But the only thing I would say, and it's my only real criticism of the marketing, is that no one would really care too much about that other than fans. Mm -hmm. So it's not really going to pique the interest of the public as such. Have that aside, it's it's a well done marketing. The trailer is excellent. Yeah, proper I trailer. have no complaints about the trailer. It's cinematic. Mm-hmm. It looks great. That scene from the Crimean War is amazing. 
because I've never seen a battlefield like that in Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean, that is proper good stuff. I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, tinged with, oh shit, I've got my hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want your little heart broken. Yeah, you know, I don't. I really don't want my heart broken again. <laughs> but we are going to go into this, not the, the season itself, but the whole Chibnall thing with an actual proper discussion of it not the usual just oh isn't he isn't he crap yeah it feels like a lot has been put at chris chibnall's kind of shoulders i mean we've talked in the past about jodie's the public face of the show and it's Mm. far too easy to blame her but for fans maybe chris chibnall is the oh yeah the fan face he he's the whipping boy yeah he really is and i'm guilty of it i do it in jest most of the time i am annoyed about a lot of it the guy is a talented writer. Broadchurch aside, which is obviously his big crowning achievement, most of his Doctor Who has actually been quite good. I like 42. I thought it was unusual, but, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's still a lot of fun, and I love Power of Three. Mm. The only thing I don't like about, about it is the end. It's yeah. too far too rushed. But I don't understand how someone who is generally, I would say, a reasonably talented writer, I wouldn't say he's up there with RTD or Stephen Moffat, you know, he's done The Great Train Robbery, he's done um, Law and Order UK, he was showrunner on Torchwood, <laughs> wrote a couple of crap episodes, wrote some fucking cracking episodes as well. So I'd say in generally general he's you know he is a talented guy he's not up there with rtd or Stephen moffat personally <laughs> but you know i don't think in any way he's a, a complete hack yeah but when it comes to doctor who as showrunner if i say he's dropped the ball i'm being charitable i think the writer i mean the writing on it has been pretty poor the guest writers they've got have been pretty abysmal mostly and I don't understand how, because you can't go from, you know, what he's been writing before to Doctor Who and it just suddenly sinks. Now, I personally think he's had stuff forced on him, you know, uh, like he'll be writing things, but they'll be he's getting asked or he's getting told to put certain things within it. So by who and what things? Well... Personally, I think this is a thing where creatives get fucked over by executives. So you create something, you write a script, and someone who has no real clue about the writing process or whatever, but they're an executive at your management level, comes in and says, oh, no, no, I think it needs this or it needs that or we've done a test screening and it needs this or, Mm -hmm. you know... And they kind of force ideas onto the creative, right? And you think that's been happening? And I think a lot of that has been happening. I'm not saying, you know, none of it is his fault. I think maybe he's had some issues that he wants to raise. And maybe, like, going back to things at Orphan 55, it wasn't the message, it was the delivery. Yeah. You see what I mean? I mean... The message itself is fine, but RTD would have made that entertaining and relevant. 
Yeah, you know, we've had a two-minute sermon. We, at the you end. know, we wouldn't have had to have all that bollocks. I just don't see how he's managed to drop drop the ball so badly because if he has, it's like he's got the ultimate ghost of his past. That whole thing where he criticised, you know, <laughs> fucking Pitt and Jane. It's either that or Pitt and Jane are in hell somewhere and they've created a voodoo <laughs> doll of Chris Chibdo and they're, they're having their revenge. The karma at work. Yeah. I'd, I've been rereading The Writer's Tale for for no particular reason, um, The which if you don't know about it, dear listener, mm. is the um, wonderful book written between Russell T. Davis and Benjamin Cook of DWM um, written around the sort of last couple of years of Russell's time on the show, and the um, it's a really great sort of very honest, as far as you can tell, sort mm. of uh, look inside the process that Russell goes through in the writing of it, and and it's also full of wonderful kind of sort of gems about sort of what he thinks about writing, and it's it's not a manual by any means, but it's just a series of emails and the correspondence, and it's lovely. It's, it's so. Mm. You get to see the shape of new stories. You get to see like the beginnings of midnight as a story in his mind and so on. Yeah. But the um no, the thing that made me think about it was he talks about uh not liking it when the kind of message or the idea leads the story rather than mm. the characters. And I think maybe that's been sort of some of the kind of really important issue led stories under the Chibnall era, I think have, have perhaps been suffering from that. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. I think a lot of the time he's possibly got obsessed with the message to, you know, the detriment of the story or yeah. character. But and he's sort of, you know, what you say, you know, he's he's not thought enough about it or thinking that the message is important and that will carry everything else. We just don't know, we're speculating. But that's a you earlier that what I would love is to read... Yeah. Um, his version of the writer's tale, Christian. Oh version, yeah, just to get inside the process. And I mean, and then I realised I want Moffat's version. <laughs> yeah, first. of course, of course. <laughs> we, I mean, you really do. But no, I mean, yeah. I mean, Moffat's aside, I definitely want to read that because see if it's not. See if it's all him. Which, I mean, it really can't be. But see if it's all him, then it's like how, how. <laughs> you would hope to have a team who would balance each other out and the other thing the writer's tale makes very clear is just the strength of the bond and the working relationship mm. between Russell T. Davis, Julie Gardner, Jane yep. Tranter and Phil, Phil Collins yeah, yep. that, that whole team just mm. Russell very frequently describes the, the joy he has in their work and their the, the stuff they deal with as well like you know when they were trying to do the Torchwoods across mm. all five days yeah, and yeah. he was like yes that was set in stone but as I suspected they were trying to change it so mm. and Julie's like going in there fighting yeah winning those battles and you just think if there's a weak link in that whole kind of setup in that whole team it falls yeah mm. I mean Julie Gardner's a great example because she is the backbone of that entire mm. team I mean she's the she's the fighter she'll go in and she will bloody make sure that Everything's on point. Yeah, there's a great little anecdote in the in the writer's tale about um, Phil Collins and phoning them both up at two in the morning in tears, you know, because he's still trying to get it to work, and Julie just talking him down yeah. and everything. He said to him, "It was just amazing how calming an influence she is, and how." she can sort of just mm. smooth out the road ahead. I think my like. first time I read the book, The Writer's Tale, I was like, I really want to 
meet Russell T. Davis. Yeah. And, and this this is the second or third time, and now I'm coming out going, I really want to meet Julie Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, sounds an amazing much. person. But well, let's talk a little more about the trailer and then move on. Um, yeah. Because there's lots of glimpses of interesting things. So spoilers for the Doctor trailer, if you're trying to steer clear of that for whatever reason, and Good I respect luck. that. Um, but the Sontarans... Mm. Um, and we know it's Swarm, so Sontaran's Weeping Angels, that's W-A, Ravagers, a new mm-hmm. race, and maybe yeah. they're the kind of spiky-faced blue people. Could we don't be. Know. Um, and then the M is as yet unfilled, so there's mm. speculation it's the Master. I was trying to persuade you it was the Mutants. Um, <laughs> but we've also seen uh, Ood. Ood. Yes. Yay! Love an Ood. That's Ood. And there was a sort of strange, sort of vaguely dog-like creature. I was like, is that the Oh, Chewbacca. Chewbacca, yes. <laughs> no, it's, 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 he's, it's even like, got, he's even got a bit of bloody, you know, of a sash thing on. Thing. I mean, yeah. that'll be that'll be this year's rat knot. Or, yeah, or it'll be like um, the, the Candyman all over again with yeah. George Lucas going, hang on a minute. But the... Um, <laughs> No, I, 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 my head canon absolutely knows that that is the Garm from Terminus, and oh, this is going to come back. Yeah, yeah. and we get Cybermen. Yes, without capes. Uh, yes, <laughs> un, untime loaded Cybermen. <laughs> They're probably just in the cloakroom. Yeah. So I like the look of the Suntans. Oh, the Suntans look great, and um, it's it's something I'd spoken to Connor about at length, and I think I'd mentioned it on the podcast a few times about how much I love. Strax, mm-hmm. but how they kind of buggered the Sontarans up because well, they're now comedy characters. The comedy we said because this last time. yeah, because we were saying about you know I, it, I mean everybody's saying well it's just Strax, but it wasn't because they done it you yeah. know, yeah, but yeah. so I'm really glad as much as I love them I'm really glad that they're gonna make them. Well, they appear well, to be they look more them. sort of weather beaten and yeah. rusty and lived in. And on a horse, that looked amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he did look rather amazing. I mean, on for all we know, they could come on screen and go straight into a musical number. Yeah, they might do a Benny Hill thing or something. Oh, who God. knows? If you notice the costume as well, it's very like that it was back in Time Warrior and uh, mm-hmm. Sundarn Experiment. Yeah. So it's really going back. Connor was making an interesting point about how. Chibno, one thing he really does manage to do is his redesigns of some of the monsters, you know, have been really spot on. Like the Cybermen pre the the mastification of yeah. you know, the um the the invasion design mm. but slightly up upgraded uh, yeah. pardon the pun. And um of course the uh, Sontarans and there was something else that... Oh, yeah, the Daleks. I really like the design of the Daleks, actually. It's the first time I've actually liked any messing about with the Daleks since they yeah, came back. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, kudos to him on that, at least. So lots to look forward to. It's a six-part series, so it starts on Halloween. <laughs> so, yeah, just have to say, this is his trial of a time log. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't wait for Terror of the Vervoids. <laughs> Well, as, as long as like they don't have to wheel in the ghosts of Pip and Jane Baker to write the finale. Oh my god! I'm really looking forward to it, and we are going to do our utmost to um, broadcast a, a show after each episode, so you can hear our inane witterings fresh after Bloody each episode. Hell. <laughs> yeah. A man 
is the sum of his memories, you know, a, a Time Lord even more so. It's time for Your Cheating Memory, which is the part of the show where we have randomly selected an old episode and rewatched it to see what we think about it now. So last time we selected Twice Upon a Time, yeah. ironically having just watched uh, Time of the Doctor. Yeah, two Christmas specials yeah, and, and regenerations in a row. So, and uh, this was an interesting journey for me, I think, in terms of my biggest criticism of Twice Upon a Time from broadcast was that the depiction of the first Doctor was very much, I felt, compromised to set the seeds for a female Doctor, the incoming Jodie Whittaker. Um, and that that didn't really change for me, I must say. I think I've softened a little on many other aspects, aspects of it, like the First World War stuff I found quite moving this time. But I, I still very much felt that this was an unnecessary use of the Doctor in, a, I think, quite a lazy way to... Um, to sort of make a point that could have been made perfectly well through Mark Gates's character, you've got a figure of the of the era there, and there's one uncomfortable moment where him and the Doctor are kind of chuckling about something sexist that one of them's just said, and it's um, yeah, I think it's just cheap laughs. I don't a hundred percent agree, but I, in principle, I do agree with you because I hadn't really thought about previously about how they could have probably just use Mark Gates's character and mm. it would have probably made a lot more sense. I wouldn't say that the first Doctor is that modern in terms of his attitudes. I, I don't think there's any overt things on screen during his era, mm-hmm. but um, I think possibly he would have probably been capable of that. But yeah. I take I mean, the In many pr- ways we just dodged a bullet yeah, that none yeah. of that stuff was in there. I take the principle Mm-hmm. of it and I think you make, you do make a good point I do think but it didn't uh, it didn't take anything away from my enjoyment of it because I think David Bradley done a great job uh, Peter Capaldi was on fire I just as I've always said I just think this story as much as I love it I wish it didn't exist <laughs> because Moffat's regeneration, uh, Capaldi's regeneration story was The Doctor Falls. Yeah. And I just, this to me was, he was doing this out of charity mm. because he wanted to keep the Christmas slot open. Yeah. And I just feel bad for Moffat and I mm. feel bad for Capaldi in that sense. Since you explained that behind yeah. the scenes reason, uh, it makes a lot more sense to me because, again, at the time I also felt like the Doctor Falls ended, mm. you know, it's that regeneration it's moment. beautiful, beautiful and, moment. And know? yet, like with David Tennant, you get not even a 20-minute yeah, world tour. Yeah, exactly. You get a whole so, other story. But understanding the behind-the-scenes reasons of course. makes sense of But having, having said that, the story itself, I actually think, uh, works quite nicely. Yeah. It's great. You get to see Rusty again. <laughs> really good little moments uh, on the on that planet. Uh, the idea of testimony yeah. is a very neat and nice and clever idea. I love Moffat's, uh, sorry, Capaldi's reaction when he says, "I don't know what to do when it's not an evil plan." Yeah, you know, it's well, also it's, it's a very Moffaty thing. It's like yeah, kind of one of the traits of Zero was right back to even before his era with um, nobody dies and mm-hmm. uh, Doctor dances. Absolutely, um, and I think. Uh, 
what I did sort of turn around on was the First World War stuff because at the mm. time I think I was just a bit churlishly oh that football thing again yeah, but it's but, beautifully shot but really like I said it had never been done in Doctor yeah. Who and for a time travel show and a Christmas story I mean really it's like the it's I know we're both atheists but it's like the one time on earth when it seemed like you know a miracle you know in the sense of it's it seems impossible and only in the sense of it seems impossible that something like that would happen what's well, just something wonderfully yeah. human and yeah of course for me it's immediately soured by just the sort of knowledge that they're going to be back to killing each other in 24 hours i know i know it's, it's so, so sad it's it's a very yeah, sad but thing. Better but that there was at least that yeah, moment. Yeah, <laughs> but there was a human moment, and yeah. it's I don't think it's ever ever happened again. Anything of that magnitude, really. Yeah. You know, and it is the stuff of legend now, really. You yeah. know what I mean, I wonder about that as well in the telling, just with a slightly <laughs> sort of sceptical air about, about what the. Kind That's of... it. Go on, Tim. Ruin it. Oh. <laughs> No, just that I've never looked into how well evidenced yeah, the, the story is, and um, I, you know, just taking it on on face value that this actually did happen and was the way people said it was, at least to a large degree, because stuff does get amplified, especially stuff that special. Hmm. So there were a couple of lines in Twice Upon a Time where I just sort of jumped up and went, "That's Stephen Moffat talking. It's not even oh, the Doctor anymore." Yes. So one of them was a bit more kind of pure and <laughs> enjoyable than the other. One of us was being cynical. Um, so the first line was, um, "Bill says, <laughs> letting you go, letting go of the Doctor is oh, so so hard, isn't such it?" Such a beautiful one. And, oh, it's so good to see Bill again. I know I she was Bill. wonderful. Yeah. Really and the was. other line, the more cynical reading was <laughs> the Doctor at some point. He's bustling around the TARDIS, trying not to regenerate or accepting that he's going to. And he says, yes, yes, I know. They'll get it all wrong without me. <laughs> I was like hearing a bit of the author there. Well. <laughs> oh, no. I know, I couldn't help but laugh at that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Moffat two years later going, <laughs> I'm a prophet. She's written the lottery numbers. Yeah. Ah, not at all. It's As we've discussed at length, there's good and bad and all of that jazz. Absolutely. But Absolutely. no, it was... Enjoyable, very much enjoyable watching it again and in your company. Any last positive words about Twice Upon a Time? Oh, God, I've got loads of positive things. Right, I mean, seven. The Tenth Planet bits. Yes. Brilliant. Ah, well, that was one thing we did want to talk very about. Very exciting. We've, we've heard that they shot a lot more mm. of that than was actually Yeah, because you see it in the making of that, mm. you know, I, I was like, oh, let's carry on, do the whole thing. <laughs> do the whole bloody thing. Yeah. Let's just keep going, you know, accidentally overrun. And... Yeah, get Rachel Trelawney to direct it. Oh, my. <laughs> At the same time. I'd rather have Rachel Talali. Ah, God. Oh, well. <laughs> At least I got her name wrong. Yay. Uh, that's that checkbox tick. Yep. Look, when I give the word, press the button. The big one? Yes, maybe it works in conjunction with the others. Let's move on and choose a new story. So, um, what could it any hopes? Be? We think we've got Matt Smith. <laughs> I have the randomizer website fired up. It's the randomizer.net. Hey, uh, come on, the space pirate. A lovely, we- a lovely website which randomly generates a story. Here we go. All right, well, let's try and find out. Now, what could it be? Ooh, Is it spooky? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease this one out for you. All right. Classic. Oh. Second Doctor. Oh. It's the Highlanders. Oh, fuck Not off. complete, sadly, but... 
Oh no! We've got some Patrick Troughton. Oh, oh come on, no! No, there's no bloody episodes. I know. I'm not watching six fucking episodes of. Ah, uh, put your toys back in the pram. It'll what be. Is it? We'll watch it together. We'll have a chat as we go. It'll be fine. You survived the space pirates. Only just. I know. Well, uh, I've only just got out of bloody counselling. I know. I took out that life insurance policy, and I'm trying to finish oh, you off. God, why? Come on, be happy. We'll get to hear. Of all Patrick the blood, I mean, Pat Troughton's nearly complete, mm-hmm. and we still managed to get the fucking uh, episodes. No, of... This is going to trigger the, our own personal laws of irony, which means that either this will be rediscovered the week after we watch it, mm. or they're going to announce the animation of it. Well, they never announced the bloody space pirates. <laughs> That's true. Mm. Uh, okay. I so, don't believe. Couldn't you press it? Had that again? to happen one day. No. God, it's going to be the. Down we do it again we get Dalek Master Plan and then you'll be sorry Ugh. yeah come on classic who I don't have a sonic screwdriver because I'm not off on a romp I call it what it is a great loss of pump and circumstance it is time for romp or pump so <laughs> while we have the randomizer fired up we're going to click through a few stories and just have a hot take on whether they're a fun packed knockabout romp or well, something a bit more serious I tell you the Highlanders not going to be a romp or a pump it's going to be a body <laughs> it's drag be a grump <laughs> Oh, stop it. Right, here we go. Romper Pump. Curse of the Black Spot. Oh, R O M P. Definitely. R. R. O. M P. Yeah, very good. Uh, the Mind Robber. Oh. The Mind Romper. <laughs> it's a romper. Yeah. It's a romper stomper. Okay. Isn't that like quite violent, that film? It is, actually, yeah. yeah it's, um, it's all a bit neo-Nazis. So, Mind Robber, yeah. But it's got it's got that definitely very creepy element. There's a great episode. bit uh, in the documentary or the making of where um, David Maloney is seen. So there we were in Islington at three in the morning trying to find a unicorn. <laughs> that's a good quote. And I just thought, that's why they call him Stoney Maloney. <laughs> and, of course, Hamish Wilson. Lovely Yay! Hamish Wilson. <laughs> All right, a couple more. Father's Day. Uh, quite serious, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Sad story. Quite it's quite, uh, I mean, it's a very well-made story. Yeah, my, my least favourite Eccleston, actually. But one Is it? The, well, one of them had to be, you know, it's that whole thing hmm. again. I think that one's quite quite powerful because um, it's not something that gets... It's not something that had really been explored in Doctor Who. No, really. for sure. Yeah. Which is why I hated it. Yeah, I know. Because it was change, Just, and change is and bad. Change is bad, and you've got no emotions. <laughs> as I always say soulless. at the shops when they... Yeah. You're uh, just a soulless husk. I am. Yeah. Um, okay. Full circle. <sighs> Dull. Yeah. <laughs> is it fun? I think it's quite serious in tone, isn't it? It's serious in tone. There's... Yeah. It's as if they sucked all the fun out of it. I'm sorry, Andrew Smith, I know you're a fan, <laughs> but I really didn't enjoy it. Okay, there we go. Last one then. The Abominable Snowman. Got a lot of classic this time. Yeah, well, I wouldn't know because most of it doesn't exist. Oh, and it'll be the thought. next one we fucking get. <laughs> <laughs> So, now I, I think um, it starts off very rompy with them running around the mountains, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, from what I've seen of it, it looks good. And they are animating it. There we go. Creepy oh. monk voice and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right. That was Romp or Pomp. So, afraid. if you could just hold off on that bloody random. <laughs> <laughs> 
I accept your challenge. We will trust you. So it is challenge time. Now, I have asked Chaz to watch the mutants as a challenge because he's never managed to sit through it. And it's never quite come about for various reasons, you know, sort of from trivial ones like the dog eating the DVD to even more trivial ones like the entire loss of your house and everything in it in a fire. And uh, don't give me that look. I'm just being flippant. Try, you know, smooth over it. So, Chaz, have you managed to watch the mutants? Well, as you know, the insurance came through. Mm -hmm. So I've been tidying up and sort of just getting the house back to order. Love the new uh, place, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Looks very like the old place. That is. It's, it's, um, yeah. So I, um, I was going to sit and watch it and um, I had a knock at the door. Got old kids standing there going, Excuse me, Gaffner! And I went, Yeah? He goes, I'm a chimney sweep, I am. Cool, blimey. Do you need your chimney sweep, governor? And I said, well, funny enough, because, you know, after the fire, I've sort of full of suit and everything, so... He said, oh, just run up your chimney, toot sweep. Cool, blimey. Like, uh, I basically put him up the chimney and he was there and he cleaned it all. And he came out, you know, sort of <coughs> coughing and oh, whatever yeah. and... Uh, Gave him something to eat because he was basically thin as a rake. Like he, said, he said, what's that you got there on the, on your wall, governor? And I said, oh, it's TV. And he went, TV? What would that be? And I said, oh, you haven't got a TV? No, I've never seen anything I haven't. Cool, blimey. So um, I said, well, uh, basically it means you, you, know, you can watch television programmes, moving pictures. He goes, oh... Like the cinematograph? And I went, yeah. And he went, cool, that sounds amazing. So I had an old TV, because I felt sorry for the young lad, and I had an old TV and DVD player, and I said, do you know what, son? You can have them. And he goes, cool, you ain't off a tough. Thank you, young man. You're, you're an absolute pleasure, and you've been a real tawny, and you've cheered me up. And he goes, it's just one thing. I haven't got anything to watch. Oh, I see where this and is And I going. went, oh, right. Well, i tell you what, young man, because I haven't got many DVDs, but the the only one I've got, because I haven't had them all replaced yet, so I gave him the mutants because it seemed like the nicest thing to do. It was a poor young guy who'd been living on the streets and he went Since through, he went back to Duckett's Passage <laughs> and walked through and... I don't think I'll is. ever see him again. Uh, well, that's a, such a touching story. It yeah. really brings a, a, a lump to my ear. The, um, and I think, obviously, understandable, completely understandable. So, um, yeah. next week? Yeah, sure. And uh, Chaz, you might be interested to know, is appearing in Panto this year. All these corridors look the same to me. It's time for Which Corridor Is This, which is inspired by the books Running Through Corridors by Toby Haydock and Rob Sherman, in which they rewatch all of classic Doctor Who episode by episode and say nice things about it. So I've been watching... Unlike <laughs> us. <laughs> oh, we try to say things. I've been watching the Key to Time season. And, um So, Android Sotara, you were very excited about the infamous Taran Woodbeast. Yay! The yeah. Taran Woodbeast cometh. Oh, I mean, it's basically, it's quite a bad mask. 
Yeah. In a kind of fluffy kind of gorilla suit. And it just sort of leaps out of the bushes with its arms in the air. Cometh the story, cometh the crap costume. Cometh the wood beast. <laughs> yeah. But, and then it runs away and it's never seen again. Yeah, basically. But gosh, its legend is, lives on it really well is. beyond its screen time, doesn't it's, it? Do you know what it is? The Tarin wood beast is the um, creature from Caves of Androzani, the rat from Talons, and... The the Murka. You mean in terms of legendary bad monsters? Well, think of those stories, right? Taron Woodbeast is really the only creature thing in yeah, that story. True. It wasn't necessary. The Murka is only the, the only creature type thing. I know we've got, uh, you know, but it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. The rat is the only monster in that story. Yeah. And that thing, I don't even know what it was called in <laughs> in Androzani, is the only oh, yes, mon- the magma beast. Yeah, that's it. Because it's like GNT wanted a monster yeah. in that thing, and no doubt the, it was always perceived that Doctor Who had to have a monster in it. Okay, so of those four, yeah. let's do a top four superfluous Doctor Who monsters. <laughs> what do you reckon? Is the Wood Beast the champion, or it's got to be the Murka? Oh, it's it? got to be. Yeah, I mean, we've already done that pun, but yeah, <laughs> as, no. as you know. Make a murka great. Um, oh no, was it? Keep, make a wood beast. What was his, his next slogan was going to be? Keep a murka great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, the magma beast is at least sort of dark and gloomy, I think. And it's there literally for the last, what? Sort of 20 seconds or whatever. Yeah, of the cliffhanger, yeah. and then it's destroyed. But the turn would be this literally jumps out in broad daylight. <laughs> it's a very Halloween thing, isn't it? Totally <laughs> is. like, Let's talk a little bit more about the rest of the Androids of Tara. Obviously based on Prisoner of Zenda, a yeah. classic, classic yeah. novel, I think. And that had been a quite a big TV show, hadn't it? Yeah. You steal from classics. Yeah. I mean, that's what Doctor Who's always done anyway, and it's done it very successfully. And I think that particular story, you know, that's a, that's a great little story. It takes this sort of bit of classic literature, which is all sort yep. of castles and evil plans mm. and machinations about gaining the throne, mm. and I, um, sticks robots into it. Yeah, exactly. A bit like robots are shit. <laughs> yes. But it's a beautifully kind of yeah. chewy yeah, villain of in, in Count Grendel. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the Princess Bride, isn't it? Of course, yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> You've got some guy, you killed my father. Time to die. I see the Doctor should at some point in a sword fight say, I'm not left-handed. That'd, just be, <laughs> that'd be a great reference. Yeah. Could have done it in Christmas Invasion. Yeah, could have. Yeah. Oh, if I had to choose between that and the Arthur Dent reference, I'd have the Arthur Dent reference. Absolutely. And it's a great story for Mary Tam, I think, who gets to play a double role. Although there's a bit of the kind of being the hapless victim, but she's mm. still got such a dignity in the character. And it's a beautiful costume she's wearing. Yeah, as well. it's lovely. And yeah, Tom Baker having great fun, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's a lovely scene with the trap in the kind of pagoda. It's slightly clumsy timing with the kind of death robot duplicate of Mary Tam. You know, it's bigged up as like a lethal killing machine <laughs> and then it bumbles around for a few minutes. I think because it's based on a... Like one of those real sort of Sunday evening classics, mm. you know, Count of Monte Cristo or, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. You know, there's a real sort of excitement to it. You know, a, a bit, bit tongue of tongue-in-cheek as well. Yeah, bit of a tongue-in-cheek, sci-fi slant. The end of with um, canine floating away in the boat. Yeah. That was an ending. It was yeah. great fun. There's a, quite a journey for the, I forget the character's name, who's the kind of the young swordsman who's 
just already to kill the doctor at first, and then he sort of gets one over. And, mm. it, you know, it's it's a sort of fairly shallow character arc, but he does have this journey of mm. kind of being very eager and at the Doctor's side. He's basically D'Artagnan. <laughs> yeah. They've made a film version of Dog Tanyan and the Muscahounds. What? Yeah. And it's CG, though. It's done, and I watched a little bit of it and I was like... But they've got a flashback to Count Richelieu, and it's the original animation. Oh, and that's funny. See, when you see it... It's like the original animation is so, so much good. better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a shame because yeah. I have such fond memories of that when I was a kid. And I know it's got absolutely nothing to do with Doctor Who, but from the moment I found out about it, I've been singing one for all, eh, one for <laughs> Maybe we should put that in our box. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, that's about all I've got to say about Android Satara, mm. unless you've got anything else. But um, yeah, yeah. No, the, the Tara and Wood Beast Appreciation Society was formed on this day. You, yep. you were here for this historic Absolutely. moment. We and it was wrapped are up on the Tara and Beast <laughs> <laughs> Appreciation Society. Oh, dear. And it, it's actually, I also remember having this thought of like, I've always sort of said it as Tara and Wood Beast. Yeah. But it's the Tara and Woods, and it's ah, the beast in yeah. the Tara and Woods. It's not a beast we, made of wood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In my box are such delights. Okay, it is time for Box of Delights, yeah. a new section where we have basically just put all of the TV shows we'd quite like to watch and talk about into a box, and we're just taking and have one delight in watching. Indeed, okay. yeah, there we go. So we selected for our inaugural episode the Omega Factor, um, which Chaz had seen before and I hadn't. So it's from late seventies, seventeen seventy nine. Yeah, a bit suddenly. One yeah. series only, but ten episodes, which we mm-hmm. diligently watched through. Um, it stars James Hazeldean mm-hmm. and not Gareth Thomas, as I thought from the first look at the DVD cover. He certainly bears a resemblance to him. And we did as we watched. We made as do reference. many other people. Yeah, like almost all the male guest stars seem to have the same curly hair. And Louise Jameson is the other lead. Yeah. So obviously a big draw for Doctor Who fans there. Mm. And well, um, what did you want to say about it, Chaz? Do you have anything screaming out at you? Um, red pants. <laughs> yes, they were kind of quite prominent as were the contents. <laughs> so we we will get to the red pants. <laughs> no, I mean it's set in Edinburgh. It's a sort of uh, supernatural mind powers. Basically, uh, Department is it seven? I can't remember. I yeah, think so, I think yeah. it's Department Seven. It's like a covert government uh, department where they recruit psychics and people with preternatural type powers. The idea is to develop it as a weapon, you know, for uh, for like super soldiers and things Scully, like that. Basically. Yeah. Every week, there's a different type of you know, supernatural thing going on. It lurches around a bit genre-wise, I think, between the sort of supernatural investigations and then towards the end it's sort Mm. of getting more into kind of spy fiction or sort of fantasy spy fiction because Department 7 confused me because they they sort of come across it first as shadowy government department Mm. and then later on there's talk about being attached to a university. So I'm not sure if you... What the funding... I don't think there's a lot of massive consistency yeah, in yeah. it um, but they so, kind of don't know what they want to do but like you say I think maybe in the last three, two or three episodes things are starting to they, they've obviously kind of have got an idea where they want to take the story. Uh, one of the things we talked about yeah. was feeling like it was heading towards mm. a season two that might have been a bit more solid and yeah, it never yeah. happened but no I just I, I think we don't want to get 
bogged down in describing all the various plots. Yeah. It's worth watching. It's enjoyable. Oh, yeah, definitely. Although it's messy and lumpy and a bit inconsistent. So the character of Drexel is the kind of main antagonist um, for most of the series. He's not really present. He crops up only in two episodes in the end, I think. And mm. um, But his, his sort of sinister young assistant, Morag, appears kind of in <laughs> Did We See or Did We Didn't. In her woolen dress. In this weird woolen nighty, yeah. And um, Which apparently the, the actor was not at all fond of. Um, <laughs> we, we did watch the short behind-the-scenes documentary, although I nearly gave up in disgust when they led in with all the spooky things that happened on set which is just sort what of... you mean like light bulbs mean Ripley oh, I know I mean imagine what were the odds <laughs> on, on a show about the supernatural as well but um, needless to say Louise Jimson's wonderful although I, mm. I think a bit underused and she's quite often sort of just second fiddle to, to the main character there's an episode where um, they sort of uh, she's been invited to go to, oh, to Paris or wherever. Paris yeah, yeah the Mission she's... Impossible episode I think it yeah is. And it reminded me very much of a of a TV show called Shadows of Fear, where a psychologist had been invited to this place to observe the work of another psychologist, and he ends up committing her mm. to his hospital, although she's the only patient there. And it's a similar situation. Um, it's actually incredibly similar. I'm kind of wondering, I'll need you to look out and see who, who wrote that yeah. episode. It's sort of a trope, the kind of... Yeah, the, I know it's been done. We're, we're not really the place you think you're at, yeah. and we're fooling you with newspapers from the right place. So the prisoner did it, of course. Yeah. And just at that point, I think that um, Anne, Louise Jameson's character, started yeah. to kind of erode a little bit, because the kind of thinness of the kind of duplicitous setup meant that you're kind of going, oh, come on, Anne, you should be seeing through this a mile off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's still good fun. And mm. they seem to sort of have a different sort of psychic power or kind of mm. there was a seance episode as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite spooky. It's entertaining. Yeah. As I say, it may not hold together as well as you would want. And the editing is... Oh, that's weird, yeah. Sometimes you have absolutely no clue where you are. Yeah, you know? it's almost as abrupt as some of the edits I do for this podcast. Yeah, exactly. But I think the red pants that we've been alluding to, we were oh. just kind of slightly struck by, towards the end of the, <laughs> of the series, um, the lead character tended to spend a lot more time in his underwear. And... <laughs> he started shirtless for a couple of episodes. Yeah. And then and then it... He was stripping off. Once we'd been inured to that, it was uh, right down to the very 70s. Pants. Oh, and it was so. It was just so bizarre just, because it, it wasn't even the point of the scene. Yeah, and then his brother was in his pants as yeah, well. Yeah, they're just like getting point. up in the morning, so they yeah, pants. which is fine. Yeah. Okay, no problem. But there was a hell of a lot of lingering cross shots. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost as bad as the tomorrow people gets. Oh, but I always blame Roger Damon Price for that. It's strange that we lost Drexel from the plot. Yeah, that was bizarre. Did. They did say, are you sure he's dead? Yeah. You know, at one point. And then I and get then the feeling that the possibility he might have reappeared in season two. two. There is, um, I think it's three or possibly four uh, CDs from Big Finish of Omega Factor. Now, I'm not sure uh, exactly what happens. All I do know is that Louise Jameson is in it and there is a man who plays, I think it's John Dorney, who plays Hazel Dean's... Right, yeah, because Hazel Dean's died quite young. Yeah, 
Yeah, he died a few years back, yeah. so um, I think he plays his son or something oh, okay. in it. So, um, so we there is them, and if I can get hold of them at some point, it'd actually be very interesting yeah. to listen to. Them. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, mm. It was great fun, and it was really nice to watch something different, yes. you know, sort of, and something that we wouldn't have chosen. No, for sure. Say that in mind. Let's hmm? choose a new one. I'm gonna need a. A wibbly wobbly sound effect for this anyway. Yeah. Hey, so here we go. Our box of delights is in fact a TARDIS money box. TARDIS money box of delights. Unfortunately, no money, but it is Mr. Ben. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, that's going to be quite a change of tone. Wow. So, oh, with exciting. the dulcet tones of Ray Brooks. So, yeah, Mr. Ben beckons. What's happening? You're becoming one of us. Who's us? The Tomorrow Tangent time. We are going to talk about Tomorrow People, which has been parked in hyperspace for a few a few episodes. But um, some time ago, so I've forgotten all of what I thought at the time, we finished watching The Vanished Earth. Um, and, well, what has stayed with me, that's going to be instructive. I'll tell you, the um, sort of villain in a kind of weird cage covered in unconvincing cobwebs and what looks for all the world like either a sort of albino pope or the kind of KKK. I think we're going KKK over oh, this one. Yeah. It's the sort of ecclesiastical shape of the hood, really, yeah. doesn't it? Um... Well, I mean, I suppose you could say it's possibly more Inquisition mm-hmm. than yeah. KKK, but, you know, I mean, so it's KKK. It? It's spy-drawn, spy-drawn. Yeah. yeah. So there's the spider thing is alluded to with the cobwebby kind of set dressing. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, he's not. He doesn't have like eight legs or anything. No, it's John Woodvine. Uh, Woodvine that um, does the voice. He played um, Broton and mm. the Duke in uh, Terror uh, of the Zygons. Yeah. yeah, and he was also in Keeper of Trocken uh-huh. and uh, Porterhouse Blue, if I remember. I'll tell you who is in it. Tobias Vaughn. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, he plays a tomorrow person from the Trig. The Trig. Uh, oh, the Galactic Trig. Weren't you paying attention? Well, I really wasn't paying attention. Oh, right. the, um, no, it's, it's like the galactic maths class. Yeah, well, uh, basically, it's like Earth hasn't quite joined. Uh, you know, it's like, like a United Nations so thing. Sort of the Tomorrow or, People version or, of the Federation. Uh, yeah, or, you know, uh, European Union. Yeah. Or something like that. But he pops up as a kind of enigmatic figure in the first episode. Yeah. So, and yeah. Saves uh, Stephen, is it, from drowning? That's right. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of go, okay, so he's not necessarily baddie, but then he sort of does a kind of baddie sort of gloat. Yeah. And I think yeah. I'm totally prejudiced by him having played two villains in Doctor Who. Yeah. The, the, well, I mean, they, they always play on this when somebody new enters the fray. Is right. it a goodie or a baddie, as it were? Again, apart from saying Nicholas Hammond, the and obviously um, the the guest stars, uh, the standout performance again comes from Ginge. Yeah, he's got quite a lot to do this one. <coughs> There's a sort of sinister funfair. Yeah. Or not, not the funfair itself, but one booth in it. So mm. it's sort of populated by a, a sort of fairly scruffy looking guy. Oh, God. Who's yeah, just I mean, an ordinary human in the end. But then he, there's this kind of space lady. 
Yeah. Who has a series of utterly awful costumes. They dressed her terribly. A bit like when we spoke about Kinvig and Thingy's costume. She was herself was actually quite good. I did the best with what she had, which was yeah. a lot of dodgy back and forth arguments with Spidron and you know, you you want some antagonism within your antagonists. Mm. But that's all they do. It was like yeah. Colin Baker and Nicola Brown but, and Tardis. But let's be honest, out of all the ones we've seen so far, <laughs> this is definitely the best one. That's well, not saying much, frankly. No, I know, I know. <laughs> but of course, the the crowning achievement of these episodes so far, especially this one, because I think this takes it to the limit. The treatment of Kenny. I, I mean, he barely gets anything, doesn't he? Well, it's not just that. It's like, oh, John, oh, think well, oh, 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 John. Your chimney sweeps back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 just come over. No, Kenny, you stay here. <laughs> Stay here and correlate the um yeah. in the stars. Yeah, you 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 give Tim an oil change. <laughs> and then, then the, mean, scene, the scene that was cut was Tim going, "You lay one finger on." <laughs> it's like every fucking time he mentions uh, even stepping out. Of, no, there's even a bit where he's going to have a line, and John stands in front of him and delivers the fucking line. <laughs> Wow, do you think they think they all kind of knew he was like? Oh, I mean, I think that's his last one. Right. Anyway, I mean, he he got sacked because thieving. He was thieving from the from the cloakroom or whatever. But do do they dodo him then, or does he get an exit? Doesn't get an exit. He goes off to the trig. Oh, I see. And. You're never going to listen to the audios, are you? I very much doubt it. Right. Life is actually I'm going to spoil an audio okay. for you. Do they bring Kenny back? The second Tomorrow People audio is called The Deadliest Species, right? right. And is it humans? The very first ten seconds of it is, you know, they're, they're running from a battle or something. They're trying to get through a gate. And she's talking away, and you just hear she's saying to the the this guy, "We need to get it out. We need to get in the code, blah blah blah." And he puts the code in. It says, "Code accepted." Hello, Kenny. <laughs> but that, and then an explosion. Oh my God! The Within Kenny. the first ten seconds, he doesn't <laughs> even get to say anything. <laughs> I fucking laughed for 10 minutes straight. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Especially after having listened to the audio commentaries, right. which you've got to listen to. Well, I mean, if I get Stockholm Syndrome yeah. sufficiently enough, then yeah. I'll definitely listen to maybe but one or two choice seriously, commentaries. Seriously, I mean, fucking hell. <laughs> anyway. Well, I don't have much more to really say about it, except uh, if that's the best one so far, then yay. Well... All I'm going to say is the next one is the blue and the green. Okay. I'm pretty sure you'll like that one. I mean, I know checks are gone from the world, but that is a check you cannot cash. (laughs) Suspect. (laughs) Uh, We will see. Could it have been affected by tangential deviation coming out of the warp ellipse? What are you talking about, Grease Dane? Lovely. Well, our other tangent is, of course, Red Dwarf. Yay! Now we watched uh, Red Dwarf season eleven, the second uh, Dave season, as it were, mm-hmm. and um, I think we had great fun, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So I've got the list of episodes. I'll just rattle through the titles and let's do that. Pick a favorite thing, and then we can okay. touch on the rest as we go. So they were Twentica, which is the sort of alternative twentieth century Earth mm. with technology stuck in the in the nineteen twenties, which is where I think the title comes from. Samsara was the one with the Karma Drive. 
where the the couple who are having an affair on this spaceship get punished by this karma drive. Um, that's a quite a funny one. And uh, Give and Take was the one with the mad medical droid who takes Lister's kidneys. Uh, Officer Rimmer, the, that's one with my favourite visual gag with the 3D printed captain. Um, and then the Rimmer prints off a whole bunch of Rimmers. And of course, as we know from the past of the programme, multiple Rimmers always go swimmingly well. Um, crisis, which with a K, which is Crichton's midlife crisis. Uh, and lastly, Can of Worms, which is, um, well, it's a polymorph story again, isn't it? Run out of ideas. Ah, uh, yeah. But, uh, hey, well, the cat gets to have a, a night of amazement and love. Um, got a favourite out of those? I'd say give and take. Mm. So, what, what sticks out there? I just love, um, I love the droid. Um, oh, Snacky. Snacky. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great sitcom, Mistaken Identity. It's such a ridiculous gag as well, because you obviously know the payoff. Mm. And again, it's like those the best sort of gags of that ilk, mm-hmm. where you absolutely know the payoff, but the fact that you're waiting for it you're and waiting for it yeah. and ahead of it makes it funnier and funnier. It's a sort of double you know? joke because they they big up this amazing medical droid and then you see this kind of really clunky kind <laughs> he of looks looking, like metal Mickey. <laughs> well, he looks like a snack machine. Yes. And they're like, okay, you know, appearances can be deceptive and all that. You must be Ishlipius. Um, and then off he goes and written on his back, snacky, snack food dispenser. <laughs> so they get the kind of cake and eat it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's just great fun. And of course, snacky then ends up being more than the sum of his parts yeah. anyway. Yeah, Rimmer going having the therapy session it's just great. great you know it's it's red dwarf doing what red dwarf does best mm. and that's just taking the comedy and running with it yeah and again for this season there's a lot of kind of high concept sci-fi ideas mm. oh, yeah. with the comedy twists so yeah. they've done i mean the, the there's it's you're right in that there's a certain sense of drawing from the past because the karma drive explicitly gets referenced back to justice where the that's, wrong you do is visited back upon you that's another one i really like this and the last season have been a real sort of return to form yeah for sure for, um but, i mean the, the, it's a rich enough concept the justice field that it warrants a kind of sequel mm. the karma field's a twist on that in yeah. that it's kind of again they managed to touch on some actually interesting kind of philosophical issues in terms of you know the morality of a, a company or whoever's mm. running the spaceship dictating yeah. the morality by yeah the like, you know um yeah company what hell business is it the company whether you're having an affair or not or... yeah i mean yeah, i think you can see both sides as well because there's that whole long-term deep space journey thing and i know there's some sort of harder sci-fi out there that deals with the fact that you look at missions to mars and the need for kind of teams who can not want to murder each other after six weeks in a spaceship together and all that sort of stuff so yeah, again there's there's kind of good hard sci-fi roots at the core of a lot of those ideas but they don't get bogged down in too much of that. It's just, you know, it's got some depth without sacrificing comedy, which yeah. I think that's what we're coming, our conclusion really We've is. We've always to, said that, yeah. I think, you know, that Red Dwarf really works better when it's 20% yeah. sci-fi, 80% comedy. And 30% maths. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think my favourite is probably between Samsara, that one with the Karma Drive, or Officer Rimmer is just <laughs> another kind of very... Another fresh take on 
Rimmer's multiplied awfulness. I also like the idea of 3D printing uh, oh, yes. your, your crew because I suppose, you know, by that point, that's not an impossibility. It's very like clever. Right? It's a sort of, you know, a, a, a sort of a riff on cloning. Well, you've got the technology to sort of download people's personalities into holograms. Yeah. Um, why they don't just generate holograms, I don't know, but let's move on. But then, of course, the, the comedy twist is that it's the same printer technology of the current day, and there's a paper jam. So the captain comes out with his eyes on top of his head, and the smeared face in the middle. All the multiple rimmers are actually kind of getting on splendidly before there's another paper jam, and you get the big rimmer monster. So what to say about the other ones? Um, the sort of polymorph sequel, without the kind of actual polymorph, it's quite funny, but they get the cat... They get the cat pregnant with polymorph eggs, which is good. <laughs> leads to this scene with the cat kind of in the birthing pool and then pulling out all sorts of mad household objects, which is yeah. really fun. Yeah, uh, oh, it was good. It was good laugh and like to see, um, you know, the cat. It was actually quite a good episode for the cat. Yeah. Um, and the payoff at the end was rather fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the um, the sort of the the nine way Mexican standoff kind of thing is quite mm. exciting as well. But uh, twenty got to go jump, jump back to the beginning. I think mm. has a bit of Kevin Eldon, who's always good value. Yeah. As uh, four of ninety seven or whatever he's called, it's you know obviously yeah. riffing on the uh, Star Trek naming. It sort of reminded me a little bit of Back to Reality. So uh-huh. it was all sort of, you know, steamy drain pipes oh, yeah, and it yeah, was yeah. that sort of film noir mm-hmm. thing going on and they had to this again. Well, you they know. get to do the 20s. Yeah, I kind of like the whole science speakeasy thing. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a good fun. gag. It sort of stretched right to its mm. breaking point, I think. But And Harmony de Gautier was good fun. I yeah. think she was a very strong performer. And also, oh, do you want me, you know, I'll explain pie to you. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, doing... Yeah, that's, like, that's what I mean about stretching the gags yeah. to breaking point. So all the kind of seedy things you might do in a speakeasy mapped onto science. <laughs> I, I think my favourite moment in that one is when they flip over all the tables and all the science stuff and the beakers were replaced with alcohol and kind of, <laughs> yeah like a, a bar no it's good it was it was good fun i think the whole season actually works quite well mm. i wouldn't say there's any real duffers in the season um no. it's still and, an element of that lots of set pieces sometimes yeah but yeah it's more cohesive as than, i say they are kind of dipping into the past a bit but yeah. i mean they're going 12 bloody series so of course yeah. they're going to start dipping into the past but the enjoyable thing for me was I had seen a couple of episodes but I'd say there was at least four I hadn't seen mm. so that was joyful Great, in yeah. itself and I <laughs> know for a fact that I have not seen any episodes of the next 12, season yeah. so I'm really looking forward to watching that. Well I'd noticed there was like a four year gap between seasons 10 and 11 mm. Um, and I mentioned last time my nervousness that they were setting up to finish. So I think, but 11 and 12 were commissioned together. Ah, right. So um, they were filmed very close together, mm. I think. Um, so we'll go on to watch season 12. And I think we'll tie in The Promised Land yeah, as well. Yeah. And then, until they bring out some more, or unless yeah. we want to watch the AA advert, we will have completed Dread Dwarf. Wow. I know. What journey? Oh, yeah. oh, well, one more step to go. So what was it like, this monster? I don't know. It is time for Monster by Monster, where we will pick a few <clears throat> monsters at random and then say things about them. Random number generator time. We'll see what Brilliant. number we get. Six. That's going to be very early in the, the program's history. It's probably a, um, a word. It's close. It's Monoptera. 
Oh, the, um, yeah, the Zarni and the Monoptera. Yeah. Um, hmm. Big, they were the caterpillars, weren't they? Those are butterfly people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, moths. Got, yeah, yeah, moths. It's a yeah. kind of stripy furry costumes, flying scenes. I mean, I don't, I can't say that I like that story. I find it dull, but I do remember a lot of people, you know, they were talking about it because it was like an a massively innovative story. Big experiment. I'd heard like casting people talking about it over the years and stuff. And when you watch it, it's trippy as fuck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> From it really the is. The, you know, it's like what the fuck is yeah. going on? Well, but, also, Rosalind de Winter trying hmm. to invent this kind of insect body language and yeah. performance. That's... But kudos to them on what they attempted. That's I don't really... think it necessarily worked as well as it maybe they'd hoped, no. but. I mean, they look good. Fair play. Let's pick yeah. another one. 174. Ah, that is the Gangers. So, oh, flesh. oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that episode. We did I, talk about it quite a lot. Yeah. Previous um, I did love that episode. But yeah, the Gangers, that's such a great moral yeah. quandary in itself. It's a brilliant realisation of the monsters with the kind of melty yeah. faces. And it's really, it's a really, it's a triumphant mixture mm. of CG and I think probably yeah. prosthetic work. Yeah, absolutely. But you also, you know, because you've obviously got that big moral quandary about them, but mm. it's set up beautifully with Amy because, yeah. you know, obviously... The Doctor fools her. Yeah. Know, and to, so, and for a good reason as well. But Could be the, the one where everyone became Odo. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Great monster that wasn't a monster, of course. Yeah. That's the whole point, yeah. really. All right, a couple more. Uh, 45. <laughs> it's your favourite. Sea Devils. Oh, lovely. I love the Sea Devils. Yeah, and also they've been a returning monster. And it's uh, that's a great story. That's actually, I'd say, one of the best master stories because mm-hmm. for a lot of that, you've got the master and the doctor being actually nice to each other. Which is exactly what you said last week. Is it? <laughs> yeah. We literally talked about that in those terms. Shit. Don't worry. Yeah. But no let's way. talk about the monster. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting carried away. I know. Yeah, no, the, the, and, and I love you for it. Yeah, no, the, the monster, um, I really like. Uh, I like the voice. Yeah. They get a great voice. And I love this because I don't think we've ever had two monsters related. Aye, at that true. point, anyway, I know the ood and the sensorites tech. But that's more a throwaway fan wank yeah, thing. But these were specifically, you know, like the C version of the Eocene Silurians, yeah. you know. And of course, in Warriors of the Deep, you know, you get the two of them sort of like joining forces. Yeah. And I really do like them. I think they're great. And it's. It is a very iconic scene of them coming out of the water, yes. you know, in Pertwee, even with their string vests on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's incredibly iconic, and it's it's one of those very exciting stories, and it's also a story where you don't actually have unit. You've got the Royal Navy and the Doctor yeah. sort of doing their thing, as it were. Yeah. I'd, I'd, it'd be quite a while before I saw it. I think it was only, you know, relatively recently. I'd pro- I must have read the book, mm. and I'd seen all the imagery. I remember I'd heard the music. Yeah. It was very strongly in my head because it's on one of the compilation cassettes. But also the other thing that fascinated me about Sea Devils was their kind of circular-shaped guns. Um, mm. And I remember I'd sort of crafted... I think I had like a a little tiny mini frisbee disc about the right size and they'd sort of 
crafted a yeah. like a seed. All you basically need is a sort of a little uh, margarine tub and a bowl, a candle bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Right. Last one, number nine. Back to the beginning. It's the Morocks. The Morlocks. Morocks. So the Morocks are the people who run the space museum. They're what you mean? So they're the humans. Monsters, but this list does alien races as well. Yeah, bureaucrats. Yes, yeah, space bureaucrats. Um, fighting the space really... teenagers. Yeah, not what you can say. I mean, no. the space teenagers had obviously gone out of control because they'd been lost at the space rock and roll. <laughs> I think their leader was called Lobos, and of course <laughs> he went on to have that big hit with La Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I can think of to say about the poor Moroccan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Hartnell got a sit inside the dolly. There you go. So, so it's worth it for that alone. Yeah. It's the end. But the moment has been prepared for. Nine times out of ten. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch or if you've recently returned to an old job, we can be contacted by email at randomizerpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash randomizer or follow us on Twitter at randomizerpod. And in all cases... That's randomizer with an S, not a Z. Have this feeling you've forgotten something? Russell T. Davis is coming back. We're very, very thrilled about the return of Russell T. Davis to run Doctor Who for the anniversary year and at least one beyond, we think. Mm. It's completely unexpected news. I mean, it, and so much so that us and a lot of other people immediately, of course, were like, this is a spoof. This is. This is a spoof. I genuinely thought that. Oh, many people because did. a couple of days before. Someone had mocked up a thing about the 14 Doctor and it was the uh, sort of screenshot from the official Twitter page mm-hmm. and blah, 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 and Joe Martin and all this sort of yeah. stuff. And, you know, I was like, I was, you know, sort of saw the thing. Oh, yeah, very good. It's nice blah, that we got a bit of skepticism. So when Connor sent me that and I was like, I'm looking at it and going, the wind up, surely. Yeah, can't be real. He's too like, good. Uh, he said, No, no, I said, I said nah. <laughs> so I went, you know, then you have to check I done a, yeah, I done a deep dive again, <laughs> and so you know, it sort of went through the dark web and consulted <laughs> the wizards of the internet, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of got Stephen Hawking on <laughs> on the seance to to bless the internet, and yeah, it was like, oh. Fuck. Yeah. And I didn't actually genuinely know what else to say except fuck. Yeah. And then I sent you and a few others and all I got was fuck. Yes. <laughs> and I think very quickly the sort of official glib summary of it settled down into being either the second coming or the one I love is RTD2. Yes. He came up with that one himself apparently. <laughs> yeah, he's rebranding himself. He's branding his own fucking comeback. He'll never get into the costume. Yeah. yeah. But he's so... come back as a Slovene. <laughs> and of course then there were jokes about well, then it's Moffat's turn again. <laughs> but does that mean it's Chibnall's? Well, See, this is where we go backwards now because I've been oh, nice been about nice. Chibnall, so I can, I can actually be shitty about him again. It's actually quite uh, difficult now to sort of you know, not be thinking about that all the time in relation to watching the new episodes that are still to come. Well, it's funny, right? I mean, look, it does mean that I'm not going to enjoy it, but as Connor said, and I 
sort of feel the same that it really sort of doesn't matter now. Well, it's that big sigh of relief yeah. the show is safe. It's safe. Hands. It's not... If it's crap and blah, 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 it doesn't matter as much. I know that's a sad thing to say going in because, one, this announcement overshadows mm. everything. Even yeah. the knowledge, it still overshadows it. Hence why I don't think that was due to be announced. I think somebody had got hold of it and they were going to leak it. Well, that seems it. to happen all the time. In and I think that's well. why they had to announce yeah. it because... Because it was the, bad timing for the new season. Uh, yeah, I mean, the BBC is all about timing in that sense. There's but, no fucking way they were going to, you know, overshadow. Been, the first domino could have been Chibnall and Jodie leaving, of course. Exactly. Because then but, the question's screaming in everybody's mind about Yeah, admittedly, but... I think, like, um, you don't, I mean, most of the time, showrunner isn't that big a deal who you announce. It's a big deal for fans, but it's not. This one supersedes it, I'd say, because a lot of people that aren't, say, necessarily big Who fans are excited. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that Graham Norton is very thingy about, you know, the RTD era, and he mm. knows, so he was quite sort of. He was even thinking about it and stuff. So this is why I think... He'll be back as the master. Yeah, go. Oh, no, he'll be back in the first episode as a voiceover. <laughs> oh, God, not again. <laughs> They've got to get him back. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but... <laughs> Maybe there was, like, the ultimate long Stephen Moffat game. It's like, this is actually... Norton's the enemy. At the do, you, do you know when they done the, the, the watch-alongs? Uh-huh. Um, they were saying they had to get Graham Norton involved. <laughs> Uh, sweet. Yeah. Oh, for the rose one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really, really think that somebody had had got hold of it and was going to spoil it. You yeah. know, and Writer's Tale Volume Three, hopefully. Well, we'll find out. yeah, because really and truly, that's very bad PR in that sense. If you yeah. release news like that, that, I mean, that's massive fucking news. That's, yeah. I mean, because everywhere you look on YouTube, the internet. It's all that they're talking about, mm. and but it's then, getting more traffic than the news about the new series. It did die down, and then the, the uh, well, new well, a little along. bit. But, but I think there's never a perfect time, is there? No, of course not. But I, I think mean, let's look at it in terms of some of the the fears. Was that well, could it be a step backwards? And I, I think it's the the thing that reassures me most is that RTD hasn't like rested on his laurels at all. He's, he's you know, we've had It's a Sin, we've had years and years, yep. you know, he's gone on to strength after strength. Yeah, and cucumber and banana. Yeah, um, it's just, and somebody's called him, the, you know, just the best writer in Britain. Um, oh, well, I mean, I've said this before, and I'll stand by it, I think he's the natural successor to Dennis Potter. Mm. I really do, I think he's of that calibre. The stuff he's done is he's followed the same path as Dennis Potter because his writing was mainly television as well because, I mean, that was Potter's big love was yeah. TV and the same with RTD. And they've explored interesting and similar themes. So it's not just RTD who's involved. We're getting Julie Gardner and uh, Jane Trant are involved in, bad, in the form of Bad Wolf Productions. Um, there's then these sort of slightly concerning rumours of Sony buying Bad Wolf, but, you know, at the same time, Bad Wolf have 
proven track record of making his dark materials, which yeah. is you know looks amazing. I've seen most of it, not all of it yet. But the um, hope they finish the third season before they get stuck into Doctor Who. Well, well you may even uh, you may even get your dream come true of McAvoy. Oh, <laughs> well, well, he is involved, and yeah. uh, you know, I think I think I would have liked McAvoy back when it was Matt Smith leaving. Yeah. Um, I think the world's moved on now. You know, I think we need yeah. another female doctor. I think, I think, I think you're probably right. Um, I'm sort of, I know it's becoming a bit of a cliche now, but Tiana Miller is, um, I remind me who that is. Uh, she played the general in Heaven Sent, you yeah, know, the gotcha. regenerated yes. general. And she was in, um, uh, years and years. Mm-hmm. So the other name in the hat was Lydia West, who was in Assassin mm. and Years and Years as well. Yeah, she's very good. Yeah, um, I mean, again, I, I just I know they'll do a good job. I know they've got yeah. good taste. Um, it'll be great. Exciting times ahead, and the the show's in safe hands for a few years to come. Oh yeah. Ask ye not for whom <laughs> the bell tolls. It is time for running through corridors. Um, no, it's not. That's the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll keep that one. <laughs> that is randomizer with an S, not a Z. And I notice you've taken that away from me now. You've still got some of it left. No, you basically did. Yeah, I had one job. <laughs> you've still got enough left to turn up and one collect the money. Job. You've taken that away if it from keeps, me now. If you Keep getting it wrong. Eventually, we'll go down to the only thing you will see in the whole podcast is Z. Not a Z. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go sort of S, not a Z. Not a Z. A Z. So, do you think we got away with it? I think so. Yeah.